Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, aloha, guten tag, buonasera, buenas tardes, boker tov, assalamu alaikum, konnichiwa, niham, hangan, hangan. I think we covered just about all the bases there. Well, it is Friday, the 17th of April, believe it or not. 2020. And this is episode four of The Way It Is, official Bobby Galinsky podcast. As you know, it is official, and I am Bobby Galinsky. And we are up on Apple Podcasts finally, so thank you for your patience. I hope you will go to your uh, Apple Podcast setting and subscribe, and you can give it up to a five-star rating. Now, I would never, ever, ever urge anyone or guide anyone to, you know, put something in my favor. But so help me God, if you do not give this episode or this podcast five stars, I will mess you up for life. Okay? Okay. It's a little bit of an implied contract when you listen to this podcast. Anyway, it's been an amazing week. I know you expecting a doom and gloom week because of, you know, What's going on? We'll get into that later. We're going to be into happy stuff now. A lot of big things happening this week. And uh, it really depends if you're a dog person or a cat person, so to speak, how your week's been. Because, you know, I love animals. You all know I love all kinds of animals. Dogs, however, you know, it's take me out for a walk. 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 And cats are like meow. Lockdown. Okay. Feed me, bitch. That's why with this pandemic going on, it's better to be a cat person because cats cats aren't freaking out. They're not worried about the self-isolation thing. Being more sentient, superior beings, they're way more enabled to handle this. They just kind of cruise around. Now, granted, they can't go out and have sex with other cats or chase birds or climb trees or, um, you know interface and discuss the neuron-specific ramifications of nanotechnology. But it's okay. I, I grew up having dogs as pets. I do love dogs. I've just realized cats are superior. In fact, when I grew up in Sioux City and Valley Drive, my, my first dog was a dog named Buttons. That dog was absolutely amazing. And, uh, a collie, or sort of a collie, a little bit of a a, a hybrid. It was 80% collie and about 20% retard, because it just, uh, it wasn't smart. When I went to Lincoln School, it would walk with me to school to the kindergarten side, which used to be on the left side of the building. And kindergarten had a separate entrance. But grade, first grade through sixth grade, had the main entrance. And the problem with buttons is every day at the, toward the end of the day, my mom would say, go get Bobby, go get Bobby. And the dog, you know, go running up Blackstone Street and, and then down the hill. I don't remember the name of the street. And then she would wait outside the kindergarten door. But I wasn't in kindergarten anymore. I came out of the main entrance. And then I'd have to walk across and buttons would go, oh, I was like, wow, why are you coming out of that door? And so this is like for six years, the dog... Never quite got it. But then when we moved to Pelletier Drive, we got a German Shepherd, 
Uh, Buttons was still alive. Buttons was in her aging mentor, Kali, slightly backwards years. But the German Shepherd was Gigi. Gigi was completely out of control. German Shepherd, as um, Brent Rosenthal would remember, because when Brent would come over to play cards, we'd have a weekly poker game in uh, our downstairs. We'd have a swim and play poker. Chuck Kutcher and uh, Brent and Steve Conway and Steve Fagenbaum. Um, Chuck, bit of buck. And uh, the late Chuck. We do miss Chuck a lot. I think Mike Moreland also played too. Brent and Gigi never quite got along because whenever Gigi would see Brent, might have been because of his size. He was more bite-sized than the, the rest of us. Uh, Gigi would go after him and chase him and try and bite him. And I think my parents were a bit scared of a lawsuit from the Rosenthal's, but that never eventuated. So yeah, I grew up loving dogs. Uh, whatever happened to Buttons, Buttons went kind of half blind, half deaf. In fact, she was sleeping half in the garage, half out, and my mom, unbeknownst it, um, closed the electric garage door, which weighed a million pounds, on Buttons. I was outside, and I heard this, <laughs> and um, sorry, Mom, uh, that was the end of Buttons. I never really forgave my mom for that. In fact, every time we'd go out somewhere and she'd hit the garage door, I'd go, oh, no, oh, no, no. And, you know, scare her. She thinks she's going to kill another one of our pets. And it kept her on edge, which was good. It probably added a few years to her life. Or perhaps not. Um, something I'll ask her when I see her. But uh, the cats, the cats don't sleep under garages. They ask them to move and they just go, <laughs> much better. Uh, once again, thanks to Lucretia at Apple Podcasts. Some of you, I'm sure, are wondering. I know the anticipate. You're just chomping at the bit. And thinking, what is Bobby wearing today for the podcast? Well, and some of you thinking, well, who gives a fuck? Um, last week, it was Alexander McQueen, the Skulls. Today, a bit more casual, laid back. Um, it is important to me because I'm insecure and a total narcissist. So, hey, Siri, tell me the weather today. Here's the weather today. Hmm. So it's about 22 degrees here, and of course, that's centigrade, so... Uh, Nice and sunny, and uh, we do deal in centigrade here in kilos and things like that. We're in Australia, so govern yourself accordingly there with the conversion. Anyway, uh, because of the weather and it being a bit nicer, gone a bit more casual, and yes, what are we wearing? Jack and Jack. Jack and Jack is an Australian label. It was founded in 2014. It's a bit casual. Um, it's a white linen peak shirt and uh, kind of beige shorts. And it's, uh, it's kind of beachy, it's kind of relaxed, it's really easy going. They do sell them in England and, the, and in the U.S. in selected stores, but it is an Australian label. And uh, as we segue down the legs, the bare legs, because we are in shorts there, I know, just let your mind wander, I've got uh, the Dolce & Gabbana socks and Dolce & Gabbana sneakers on to add a bit of flash. And um, we do love our fashion, we do love our food. It's good to be connected with with art, whether it's wearable or whatever. And the Jack and Jack store on High Street in Armadale, fantastic staff, Susanna and Alexandra. And it's near the pasta shop, Danino's, where we love to get our fresh pasta. And uh, also near the optical shop. The optical shop is called 1.74. They're also on High Street in Armadale. The amazing Betty and Jonathan and staff that's in there. And I'm wearing my crystal clear Circa Jacques-Marie Mage glasses there. 1.74, for those of you that are interested, is 
the highest index that an optical lens can be configured to, the thinnest. So it's a um, great little technical attribute there. Now, really, are clothes important or glasses important or anything important? Um, to me, they are, but mostly in the context of somebody had an idea and they sketched it on paper and that became, you know, a shoe or a shirt or a wind chime or a basket or, um, you know, a pair of socks or a gun or a car or a wheel or whatever like that. And that was produced and employed designers and manufacturers and art people and distribution people and thousands and thousands of people. And that's what makes the world go around. Some of those products you love and some you don't. And that's what's killing me about this pandemic now, because all that has just been shut down and gone away. But we can enjoy the small things in life. I've uh, just had a, one of those amazing tonic lab ginger shots, you know, with, uh, from the beautiful Leaf store, um, Leon, Katrina, and team in Elwood, the great natural food store. And I just walked up the street and had a fantastic skinny latte, which I've just put down from Super Random, uh, Abraham, his team of Tomo, and Maui and Jennifer. Um, great coffees, great service. Can you see a pattern here? I just love fantastic customer service. I love it when people really care and take the time and love what they do. I love what I do. You, you, you don't get much better customer service than, than me. I'm free, and you can have me anytime you like. And I learned about customer service when I worked at the restaurant in Boulder, as you learned in previous episodes, why everyone should work in a restaurant. One of the little secrets of the coffee shop, by the way, is I can get an amazing chocolate chip cookie there, but I have to eat it before I get back home. Because if I come home with the cookie, when I told my lovely wife that I've just gone for a coffee, then there's going to be an interrogation and possibly explanations that uh, I will not have pre-prepared. But I think it's a guy thing. I think every guy's, you know, experienced this with his wife or partner. You know, honey, I'm just going to the store for bananas and a coffee and, and milk. Okay, see you soon. And, you know, you come back with a high-powered rifle and an eight ball and a gallon of vodka. And th then you got to have that discussion. I hate that discussion. But uh, speaking of high-powered rifles. Now that you know my route and where I buy my clothes, and my pasta, my coffee and everything, if you hated this podcast and you were deranged, you think, ah, oh, I hate that Bobby Galinsky podcast. And now I know how to get him. But the reason I'm not worried is that I know you love this podcast. And if you don't, you'd be a real hard left winger and you wouldn't own a gun. So I really don't have to worry. And how this segued into a Second Amendment chat, we don't know, but that's just how it does. And uh, that brings us back to the U.S. where the Second Amendment is. And we are calling out great places with great food and memories. So I just kind of call these out here, and I'll be picking other cities from time to time. If it was Sioux City, I would say the Sioux City Bakery, because the Sioux City Bakery baked the best cakes in the history of God. I remember every one of my birthday cakes from when I was a little kid. A fellow named Sid Lazier used to run that bakery, and it was out on West 7th. Fuck, I miss that place. Which in turn reminds me of the uh, delicatessen at Midtown on, on Pierce Street. Uh, the Levitsky family 
owned that, the, oh, the best corned beef on the planet. When my mom used to take me there and Dave Levitsky would hand me some corned beef and I would just, being, you know, the fat, you know, kid that I was, I would always take as many samples as possible. I really miss that. I miss that. And I miss those Sioux City memories. But ironically, it's coming full circle now. Some of you may have seen uh, in press on the Twitter that the 2024 presidential election, it looks like um, former Sioux City resident and now Texas resident Jesse Dupree and I are running for president and vice president. So watch this space. The memories of Sioux City restaurants, the Normandy. I would like to find out who set fire to the Normandy and set fire to their family, because that was my all-time favorite restaurant in the history of the world. Miss the Normandy. I kind of miss the Gables. The Gables was always a great place to meet. The food was never particularly great, and um, it was great to have a Nazi war criminal working there, Nate, Nate Marks, who actually was part of the Gestapo, um, but masqueraded as a... Uh, Midwestern Jewish person and was never caught, never caught. Uh, very few people didn't know that. It was an open secret, but uh, he was such a lovely guy. And he had so many difficult questions for you. You'd walk into the Gables. It didn't matter whether it was like after bowling late at night or if you'd been down um, having drinks in the city and were absolutely blind or if it was just lunch, or it could be, you know, you might just want to have an H-bomb Sunday or something like that. But you'd walk into the Gables, the Green Gables, always be busy. And you'd walk in and Nate, who had had the same suit on since um, he left Germany in 1945, would look at you and go, table or a booth? So that's the only thing you had to know, table or a booth. And for most of us and my friends, it was the booth. Because the table was kind of like for the oldies. The booth, you had the banquettes, and you could kind of sit there and crowd in. And it was kind of that di diner feel. And uh, you're with your friends, or you're with some of the uh, um, opposite sex from high school. And uh, you could sit across from them and just stare at them and ogle and drool. Because that was about as close as you would ever get to them, if you were me, is across the table. And that was a very sad and challenging time for me because um, Sioux City Central had some amazing smoking hot girls, batted way above our average. That's fond memory. So that's um, a memory lane of, of food, of food in Sioux City. And a lot of you that grew up with that going, oh, how great would the Normandy or the Gables would be? Well, they're closed. They're gone. Sioux City Bakery is gone. That's it. Forget about it. One of the great things about having time on our hands during this time is kind of reconnecting with old technology like the phone you know it used to be emails and texts and you know see somebody have a drink whatever you know skype zoom whatever but uh i'm loving the phone i got a lovely phone call yesterday from the king of elwood the king of elwood sam gaiman who is um you know, like million dollar listing in the uh, New York, LA TV series. Th this guy is the, the king of Elwood. He was actually walking through the park with his lovely wife. I'm assuming she's lovely wife because he always speaks highly of her. I've never met her and she's probably listening to this podcast. So, you know, got to watch myself. But uh, they were listening to uh, the podcast as they were in the park, taking a walk with Bobby in the park. I've actually taken a walk in the park with my own podcast and listen to myself, which in a really delusional bipolar kind of way is, is, is lovely. It's, um, 
it's good to take a walk with yourself once in a while. And I had a phone call from my good friend Slavko, which took me a day to return because it was a missed call, but uh, he was in a big jam, but he was still alive by the time I got back to him 24 hours later. And uh, he's one of the big honchos of the Melbourne Savage Club, which I belong to, as I've shared before, the ultimate old school men's club. Um, he's kind of my mentor there. He also tells me what I can say and not say and told me not to talk about it being just a men's club with no female members. So I, I won't talk about that, even though it's a really good thing. And uh, it's really a no members thing right now because we're closed for a few months during this uh, Wuhan virus. And then I was going to call my uh, friend, the, the fittest man at Kuyong Tennis Club, the fittest man in Melbourne. His name is Martin Crampton. And uh, I just decided not to call him, just to, to bombard him with some emails. Because uh, not long ago, I saw him at the club and gave him my card. And I said, oh, you know, email me sometime. We did not ever realize it would be the last time that we'd see each other. We'd see each other at the gym three times a week, swimming and gymming and lifting weights and in the sauna and the whirlpool and all, and all that. But um, giving him my card with my email on it was a big mistake because now he's just bombarding me with every joke on the planet. I think he's losing his mind out in the country. He lives down in the country, down in Gippsland. Unbelievable, beautiful area down there um, with his wife and kids and horses. With his wife and his kids and the horses and an internet connection. But he turned me on to the TV series Get Shorty, which I'm eternally grateful for. So he, he can send a few extra emails and jokes if he likes. No, no worries, Martin. Just go, go a bit light. I am a bit jealous of him because, yes, he is the fittest man in Melbourne. He's one of those guys that swims a million laps, lifts exponential more weight, spends months in the sauna, and then, you know, you can't help it. This isn't like a gay thing. You're walking around the gym and you check out other guys. You know, ah, he's short. He's lost his hair. Um, his skin looks like Noriega. I'm doing okay. I, I suppose girls do this too in the locker room. They check each other out, you know, kind of figure the age. Think, yeah, I'm, 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 I'm doing well in there. And it's because I used to be fat and because my, my lovely wife put the thumb down one day and uh, cut my alcohol consumption down from you know, seven days and KFC and fast food from seven days and sugar and chocolate from seven days down to just the weekends, just the Friday, Saturday, Sunday, and then Monday to Thursday, no booze, no carbs after 5 p.m., eating healthy, tons of exercise. So you get the fashion tips here, you get the Mystic Medusa astrology tips here, you get the religious tips, you get all the inside information that, you know, you can accept it, you can reject it, just don't neglect it, there's there's goodies here, and you also get the, the diet tips here. So if you want to lose weight, just give yourself that reward weekend. You got to have those rewards. You know, on the weekend I can do pretty much whatever I want. Well, not whatever I want, but you know, you know. But you, you got to have balance. You can be excellent at, at something and poor at the other, but you, you've got to have that balance at sport or extremely adept at uh, design or extremely adept as a mother or, or, or as a father. I kind of missed out on that one. Uh, but you've got to have balance because if you're super mega on one thing and you forget the rest, 
then all people will notice is what you're not. You got to have a commitment to excellence, I think. And ham-handedly segueing on that commitment to excellence to the last of our phone calls I did want to chat about. I had a call this morning with one of my oldest friends here, with the actual dean of Australian producers, an amazing guy, Daniel Scharf, who produced, uh, amongst other things, Russell Crowe's amazing seminal film, Romper Stomper. Now, he had done other small films before that that no one had seen, Russell Crowe, but Romper Stomper was like nothing anyone had ever seen. It still is on my list. It will always be on my list of one of my top 100 films of all time and certainly top 10 Australian films of all time. It's staggering and you really need to see it if you haven't or watch it again. It still holds up so well, so powerful. Uh, don't confuse it with the eponymous TV series on Stan that was on uh, a year or two ago, which isn't bad. The Romper Stomper TV series kind of updated, rebooted, but um, nowhere in the, in the same park. And uh, we were kind of lamenting on the phone things that uh, were happening in the industry here, which is closed. I mean, Hollywood's closed. Australian film industry, TV industry is closed. Nothing's happening. But um, kind of talking about my comment last week about why Australian drama generally sucks. And we do great films. We have amazing talent. Best place in the world to shoot. Um, amazing craft. Uh, top actors. Everything. But uh, we just don't get drama right. And a couple people have challenged that. I said, I dare you, name five Australian dramas outside of the Blue Murder cop series years ago, which I'd already mentioned. Name five that are any good at all. You can't. You just can't. You, you can name bottom fives. And everybody has their own opinions, and you don't like to, you know, call anybody out and really slag anybody. But but really, it's it's all subjective. Everybody has their opinions, although only mine matters on this podcast, but everyone goes into a project, a film, a TV series, whatever, with high hopes. They hope it's a great story. They hope it's a great director. They hope it's a great showrunner or producer. They hope that the money comes through. They hope that once the money comes through, it stays. They hope that everything goes great, the weather, the location, the whole thing like that. And then, you know, about part way through, you might think, oh my God, serendipitously, this, this, this is it. This is going to be life-changing. And I've, I've been lucky to have that really once, twice in my life. Uh, but most times when you think it's going to be absolutely epic and, you know, world-busting, then it all goes to shit at the end. That's, that's just the movie-making, TV-making um, business. Now, with Australian television... That's always how it ends in drama. However, not so with reality. And, and it's funny, reality TV, I know a lot of people scoff at it, but I love it. It's just like, it's just like winning a billion dollars. Reality TV magnifies whatever you are. If you're a super lovable, loving person, um, you know, like something like Married at First Sight or or, or MasterChef, or Love Island, or, or any of these, uh, any, any of these types, any of these dating shows, then you see what a wonderful person that that is. It just magnifies it. And if you're a dick, it, it just magnifies that too. It just brings out and magnifies really what your dominant 
personality is. However, however, it does also show there's always a part, usually at the beginning, before we find out what someone can be like under pressure or whatever, where you, you see the best side of that person, which truly reaffirms my belief in humanity that we are all capable of loving or being loved and we all have a good side, um, a wondrous side, the soul side. However, much of that disappears and uh, you can find them pretty much as registered Democratic voters in the U.S. or as principal characters in any of the Real Housewives series, whether it's New York, OC, um, you know, Cheshire, anywhere. Those shows with alcohol bring out the dark side of all these women. It's unbelievable. I actually enjoy watching these with my wife. I love these shows because you watch them because they're interesting and they're in great locations and great restaurants and, you know, bars and boats and stuff like that. And they seem to be living the, the life. And when you first meet them, they're engaging. And again, you find their lovable side. You always, you know, everybody has this, this great side. But then I just think it's an epic experiment of, you know, compressing all these strangers, you know, for the eight heavily heavily plied with alcohol women in a uh, stressful situation and feeding them things to uh, sabotage the show and then watching it. It's, it's, it's fantastic. It's fantastic. And it's perfect for self-isolation. And speaking of self-isolation, as we finally get over to that, that part of the, uh, the show that addresses what's going on outside, uh, I'm watching Devs, D-E-V-S, right now on Netflix and, and really loving it. It's uh, written and directed by Alex Garland. If you saw Annihilation with Natalie Portman, fantastic movie, and uh, Ex Machina uh, some years ago. He's also the very talented novelist who wrote The Beach and 28 Days Later. And uh, Devs is fantastic. There's a character in there that's a very kind of futuristic Steve Jobs, cult mentor, you know, tech guy. And he's played by Nick Offerman, who was in Parks and Recreation, as my son, Steve, reminded me, uh, a show that I'd never really watched. And uh, he was one of the brothers in uh, The Founder with Michael Keaton about the uh, McDonald's uh, burger franchise, which is a fantastic movie if you've never seen it all. So it really didn't do much at the box office, but a tremendous sort of pseudo-quasi-biography. But uh, Devs is really elegant, it's really slick, and uh, loosely, without giving away too much, but then, you know, any review has spoilers, idiots, uh, about a guy, kind of a Russian-American, who works for a software company in Silicon Valley, and his girlfriend is Chinese-American, and he gets a big promotion, uh, doing kind of a quantum physics, time travel, computer, sci-fi, FX sort of situation. And that job promotion just doesn't end up so well. But for those of you who have been laid off or lost your jobs during the pandemic, you know, a promotion sounds fantastic. So uh, there you go. But I love the time travel computer regeneration part of it. And it... Um, absolutely fascinates me. Something, something I'd just like to run past you completely out, out of left field here. Those of you that have been at any of my workshops, whether it's the uh, two-hour mini workshop or the nine-hour 
Bobby Wood Workshop, where last week's guest, Kim Coe, delved deep and uh, forged the original need for an idea to promote herself and then the ultimate idea of writing a book based on the loss of her friend who was on MH17, Malaysia Flight 17, that was shot down and how it's really a second chance opportunity. Right now, as you're listening to this podcast, wherever you are in the world, wherever we are in the world, um, you know, whether we're in the heart of it in Italy or whether we're in England, whether we're in Spain, I know we've got listeners looking at the Google Analytics in uh, South America and Alaska and, and everywhere. We've all have a second chance when we have this time, even though this time is being a bit imposed by uh, police states in some places, like here in Victoria, which we'll talk about later. We've got time to rejig and reboot what it is that we want to do, either personally or individually, or with our families, with our wives, our husbands, kids, uh, career, you know, whether it's just taking up the guitar again uh, that you put in the closet or, you know, finishing writing that story that you wanted to do or taking that trip that you wanted to take to, um, you know, the Maldives. Well, too fucking late. You can't go to the Maldives right now. You missed out on that. But you can still take up the guitar again. But you know what I mean. But one of the big exercises that we do in that course, the Bobby Wood course, I just want to run past you because we're all sitting at home here, and it's something that I do regularly, as in every day, and it's it's called the dinner party. And if you've experienced this before, no, you can't turn off the podcast. You just got to sit through it. But if you've never heard this before, and I was talking about time travel and quantum physics with the show Devs on Netflix, it's a little bit of time traveling that you can do yourself. And I'll ask you to indulge me for just a couple of minutes while I got, got you here. It's a little bit of a departure from the normal theme of the show, but I'll be popping these things in from time to time. If you don't believe in time travel, all you need to do is close your eyes and think of someone absolutely dear to you that was like your mom or your dad, a child, grandmother, someone that you lost, someone that passed away in, let's say, the last 10 years, somebody that you can really remember, or a horrible horrible situation that that happened to you. This is a little bit of a family-friendly show, so I'm not going to suggest some things that could have happened to you. But you just close your eyes and think of that. That incident or that loss of your relative or friend comes storming right back at you. You literally have traveled in time. So if you were assaulted nine years ago, if your husband or wife of many years of the love of your life died five years ago, that moment comes right back to you. You have traveled in time. Ostensibly, really, that's what memories are. Now, a lot of people say, well, yeah, but you can't go forward. But really, going forward is no different. It's just like switching the gears of a car, and it's the same methodology. All traveling in time into the future is is remembering the future. It's simply remembering something that you know is happening or will happen that you just haven't yet experienced in real life. What's, what's the one thing that you hear everybody say after they've won an Academy Award or a Golden Globe? And, and I've been watching since I was like five years old in Sioux City, Iowa, holding up that chocolate Easter bunny like an Oscar, practicing for that award 
that may come or may never come one day, but that's all right. That's, that's not why I do it anymore, but it used to be why I did it or a good reason why I did it. But what's the one thing everyone says when they win? They say, I've been dreaming of this my whole life. Not now thinking their agent or thinking their manager or, you know, thinking their crack dealer if it's, you know, Hunter Biden or something like that. But I've been dreaming of this my whole life. So when it happens to them, it's already happened to them. It's already happened to them a thousand, a thousand times. Now you can simplify it and say, well, that's like an affirmation. I'm going, my team is going to win the Super Bowl or, you know, the uh, New England Patriots will be fine without the best quarterback in history. You know, you can spit in one hand and wish in the other and see what happens there. But literally, the exercise I want to share with you is time travel. So if we know that you can close your eyes and go back in time, and we know that highly successful people, whether it's a Richard Branson from Virgin Airways or a Steve Jobs or any top actor or actress or anybody in, you know, um, industry, fashion, whatever, they can visualize the future and make it happen. They are simply traveling in time. Van Gogh used to say, when asked, how do you paint your paintings? He goes, I dream my paintings. Then I paint my dream. I love that so much. That, that is really how I've run my life as a, as a writer, is I dream my story. Then I get up and I write write my dream. So all I ask you to do is grab a pen and paper. Uh, if you're in the car, this might be hard and don't close your eyes while you're in the car. Actually, please do. If you're driving and you're listening to this and I ask you to close your eyes, please do because this will be so immense for the podcast if you close your eyes and crash and absolutely take out a school bus or something like that. That'll be so much publicity. No publicity is bad publicity. But seriously, grab a pen and just write down, just make a circle and write down six little circles outside of it. So it looks like a clock with six little spots around it. And then all I'm going to ask you to do is think hard and write down six people that you would love to have at your dinner party. So you're having an imaginary dinner party. And the reason we call it the dinner party is because food is so immersive. If you're thinking of your favorite meal that you'd want for your birthday, let's say it's lasagna, and you think, where is the best place in your town, whether it's San Francisco or Los Angeles or New York or London, where, where is the, the best place in, in, in Rome, um, Lateca, that's off the Via Condati, that's where I would go. Food is so visual. Food is so immersive. So you're thinking of this restaurant. You're thinking of this lasagna. You can literally taste it right now. You're thinking of the table that you'd be sitting at or the banquette. Or, or maybe it's something you make at home or your husband or wife or mom or dad makes at home. Then think of that dinner table being at home in your own apartment, your own flat, your own house, um, your own you know trailer park if you uh, read the New York Times and, and watch MSNBC. It don't matter. So think of that favorite meal. Think of where you're going to have it. If it's not your house, think of that banquette, that table, exactly where you're going to have it. And then, and really go with me on this. I'm being dead serious. Think of the six people that you would love to have at your dinner party. And they can be living or dead. I mean, 
because we're time traveling. So if we're going into the future, these are people that are available because they're around now. If you're going into the past, people that will have lived and died, you know, whether it's Socrates or, you know, Jesus or Buddha or, you know, Malcolm X or Steve Jobs, whatever. Uh, think of six people you would literally do anything to have at a dinner party. And, and don't worry about, oh, well, that's not plausible. Why would they come to dinner for my birthday? Whatever. Just, just go with it. Just, you know, suspend your disbelief. Think of the six people that you would have. And the reason we have six is that with you at seven and the mind usually can't grasp interpersonal content of more than seven people and cross conversations and stuff. That's a whole nother conversation. But six is really about the most that you can grasp. And also think of where you'd seat them. Would you have, let's say, Jack Nicholson next to Meryl Streep? Would you have Nelson Mandela next to Jesus? Whatever, whoever, whoever it is. And then here's how we end with it. Once you've got those six on paper, really look at it, really close your eyes, think of that food. They've come over to your house, your flat, your apartment, you're meeting at a restaurant, you're ordering this amazing food, it's your favorite food. Think of the smells, think of the lighting, think of people around, and think of the questions that you would ask these people. Invariably, the questions you would ask them, whether it's Jesus or Jack Nicholson, whether it's Meryl Streep or Charlize Theron, whether it's, you know, Ray Charles or, you know, Mario Cuomo. The questions you would ask them are usually almost spot on questions that are related to your deepest needs, your deepest wants, and your deepest desires, which as a writer, when I'm writing a character, you can't have a successful character without knowing their needs, their wants, and their desires. And those are three very, very different things. So just do that. And, you know, if you think you're going to get laughed at by somebody in your house, whatever, just do it in the bathroom or, you know, do it in your study or whatever like that. I have been doing this for over 25 years, almost every night, even for a second or two, but usually for a couple of minutes before I go to bed. And it is an amazing thing to travel in time, literally, and to have conversations with your heroes or people who've inspired you or people that you've wondered about and get answers to questions that you already know but need some help with. Now, you might think I have totally lost my fucking mind and you'd be not far off. But I promise you, if you do this every night, or every day. For 21 days, break a habit, make a habit in 21 days, you will find it absolutely transformational. I promise you. So anyway, we're going to we're going to segue out of that. It it really works. I have changed the the personnel at the table over the years, but not much. There's still four people that have never left and there's a couple that come in and come out and some that I've written off and some that I've written off like Robert De Niro when he was, you know, going absolutely, you know, Trump derangement syndrome. But then I put him back in at the table after watching him in The Irishman and remembering how much I love his acting and can separate the man from the ball. Anyway, that's enough of that right now. And that's something that's really great about this isolation 
is it gives you the time and the opportunity to do things that you would never do. And this isolation is something for me, I'm never going to do again. This whole stage four, you know, police state rules that Victoria has put on here in Australia and that lockdown that's happened in the US and the UK and stuff like that, which I totally believe is over the top and somewhat unnecessary, not completely unnecessary. I think that social distancing and everything like that, fantastic. The complete closure of every business, catastrophic, media-driven, suicidal, and the end does not justify the means. But whether they get a vaccine or not, whenever this ends, whether it's in a month here, May 11th, they're supposed to ease restrictions from um, the commandant here, Daniel Andrews, and uh, others, or whether it's two months or three months, whenever this ends, if suddenly this reappears again in six months or a year or whatever, this situation, uh, I'm not going to abide by it because we're only going to fight this war once in my lifetime. Uh, I think we will have learned the absolutely irreversible damage that has come from this. And God rest the souls of all the people that have died from it. Uh, not that we ever paid much attention to them when they died in car wrecks or the flu or, you know, in a bar in Bali or wherever like that. But suddenly, if it's a COVID death, it's special. All life is special. All death is special. But uh, won't be fighting this, this war more than once. That's my, that's my feeling on it. And I think we'd be fools to live our lives in caves rather than live our lives on our feet so to speak. Well, that's my feeling on it. So, whoa, we got through that. That was a bit doom and gloom. But I would like to think it's not doom and gloom. It's hopeful because there is always equal or greater light on the other side of the darkness. And these have been dark days. Now, speaking of dark days and dark hotel rooms and crack pipes, um, I wonder if Joe Biden will be handing out autographed Hunter Biden crack pipes if he gets elected this uh, November. I mean, Nancy Pelosi had autographed pens for the impeachment forever. So I think if Joe Biden, who just became the de facto nominee, you know, the other day, former president, oh, I hate saying that, Barack Obama finally endorsed Joe Biden. Let's see. Everybody else was either dead or gave up, or unqualified, or left, or whatever. So even after that, even a, a week after Bernie Sanders was out of it, he Biden still could not get an endorsement from Obama. But the last thing Obama wanted to do on the planet, on the planet, is give Joe Biden an endorsement. But he had no choice. He had to. He had to. And you know, Biden was calling him every day or having someone call him because I don't think Biden could even dial his own telephone now, or I don't even think he knows when he looks in his phone. Let's see. Speed dialing. Barack. Barack. That, that name rings a bell. That name rings a bell. Biden's at the end of his leash. But you, you know that that endorsement just, <laughs> I, I can't even laugh any harder unless I was reading the New York Times, which I used to love. And by the way, I still read part of the New York Times. I love the art section. Here in Melbourne, the age is 
almost unreadable, but it has a fantastic art section. And they wrote a great article on me years ago, and I love the film and TV critics there. So I think that really is um, just enough time for today. I'm, you know, in the Brighton bunker right now. I'm very, very comfortable. And I'm a bit scared of coming out because it's a, even though it's such a nice day, my lovely wife will have had the heat on in the other room or the fireplace on. And it'll be like Auschwitz out there. And trust me, it's, you know, I'm a Jew. I can make the Auschwitz jokes. I can, you can make any jokes. Like if they're funny, I'll laugh. But I will have to battle with her. That's, I don't know what it is with, with you people, with, you, with women. They just have to have the temperature, the heat on all the time. Even in the summer, when I love to have the air conditioning on and have it absolutely like a frozen vault, she, she just likes the heat on. Women, women like it hot like that. They like it warm. It's a strange thing. It's a strange thing. And it, and it bothers me because, you know, really, and this isn't misogynistic, this is just observational. Ladies, we gave you the vote. Come on, we gave you the vote. And we let you drive. We gave you the vote and we let you drive. Just let us set the thermostat in the house, please. That's all we want to do. Just let us be calm. We just, we just don't want to roast. We don't want to feel like we're under the grill. I know it's something you guys do because it puts us on the back foot. So just have a think. Tonight, when you go to bed and you look at the thermostat and you're about to crank it up, think of that guy that could be in your house. And uh, be nice. Be nice. We're going to have a lot of stuff going on next week. Can't wait to bring you up to date. Please do your dinner party exercise. Give it a try just for me. That's all I ask. And I don't ask for much. You know that. I do. would ask you to subscribe, please, and uh, rate it on Apple Podcasts and say nice things. But I've really enjoyed this so much next week to talk about. Next week's show will be a little bit of world traveling. We'll be going to many places that I used to live, Atlanta, partying at the Buckhead Diner, Sanibel in Captiva, Florida, up to the Bubble Room and down Seahawk Lane, and Los Angeles. When I first landed in Los Angeles in 1977 and seeing the ocean, a life absolutely just changed. And um, out in London, too. So it's going to be a big show and a little bit of investigative reporting, a bit of a special feature on some Orange County Italian mafia families that uh, drive Ferraris with no visible income. So this is going to be a bit exciting, a bit of a departure. Have a great week. And remember, always remember, it's really nice to be important, but it's more important to be nice. We'll see you when we see you.